0: You are listening to the beacon. Yeah. <laughs> show on a beautiful Monday, morning Monday, December 21st, it's Christmas week, ladies and gentlemen, Merry Christmas to you if you celebrate, Happy Hanukkah if you're going through it, Happy Kwanzaa if you've ever been fucking arrested for no reason, Ah, drinking coffee, um, working here, getting ready for work, and um, I should have did this yesterday, I'm always procrastinating, pushing things off to the last minute, and then I sit here and I'm like, God, I got to get this out. I, don't, You know, you just have this thought in your head and you got to blast it out. Um, 2020 has been a real shitty year for a lot of people. Um, it's just been a year of adversity. A lot of adversity for everyone. Financially, uh, physically, health-wise, emotionally, everything. Everything has been thrown at people this year. And... Um. I know a lot about adversity. I've been here before. Uh, So I just wanted to share a little bit of my experience, a little bit of my hope with adversity so you could understand that shit happens in your life. Bad things happen all the time. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Bad bad things happen to everyone. And that's just a, a, a really unfortunate part of life. But I think it's part of the balance. I think it's part of the balance in good and evil, the yin and the yang. If no bad things ever happen to you, how good would the good things in your life be? Like, I I think about that a lot. Like, without the pain of heartache and heartbreak, like, how good does love feel? You know what I mean? Like that, that opposite. Would love feel as good if you never had your heart broken? if you've never put yourself in a vulnerable position where you can get hurt would love even matter so that's a, like just just kind of the, some of the things i think about when i'm stoned i can talk about being stoned now because it's legal in new jersey thank god for voting um yeah so one of the um before I, before i jump into this real quick i just want to say um shout out to 2020 for going uh ape shit on everyone i don't even know why i said that that's not what i wanted to say um i don't know it's just been a crazy year we're at the home stretch and we just got to push through and come out the other end hey next year might be worse ladies and gentlemen next year might be worse but i i want to i want to rewind we're going to rewind back to 2003 2003 was a, a good year for me I don't even know if it was a good. Deal. I don't remember much, but I felt in my mind it was a year that I was going to start turning things around because I'm going to do a. I want to do a series on my life where I just start talking about from when I'm little and then just keep going all the way through until today and just see what comes out. This is my life. That's what I'm going to call the podcast series. The This Is My Life episode of Victor Cedeno. Um All right, so 2003. Uh, I graduated high school in 2000. From 2000 to 2003, I did nothing, all right? I had no ambitions. I had no desire. I couldn't hold a job. I couldn't get anything going. I mean, I was 18 years old. I got a job with my mom in the union, all right, in a laborer's union where we worked for Sarah Lee Coffee. The place smelled wonderful all the time. They didn't make snacks and stuff there. This was coffee. And the place smelled wonderful. I couldn't even hold a job there. My mom was the shop steward. For anybody that knows, that is the representative for the union that works with all of management in the company for the workers' rights and all that good shit. All right. My mom was the shop steward. My mom was there for 25 years. And she left on vacation to buy a house in Florida. And while she was on vacation, I got fired for crashing a high low into the equipment that they had just installed the brand new equipment that they installed that actually gave me the job the brand new equipment that they installed was a conveyor belt line that brought boxes of coffee right from where it was packaged into uh shipping so that we can sort it so i got a new job so i can sort boxes coming off of this conveyor belt and i decided to drive a high low into into the um, into the fucking conveyor belt system and it sent shockwaves like I, I almost got electrocuted it sent shockwaves I hit the fucking conveyor belt so hard it fucking almost electrocuted me like I felt the shock waves around me and then they just sent me home and then I got fired so I, I couldn't hold the job I, I didn't have anything going for me alright that was a good fucking job I was getting paid like $500 a week with overtime as an 18-year-old, all right? That job would have been good for me if I kept it. Had it been good for me, though, would it have been good for me or would I have been stuck in a dead end? I don't want to say dead end. That job provided so many opportunities to my family. Um, it Just, uh, you know, stuck in a in a spot where you don't want to be, stuck in the hamster wheel, all right? Most of us are stuck in the hamster wheel where we're just spinning. There's nothing that we're really working towards. There's no end goal. There's no, um, you know, cheese at the end of the tunnel, really, when you're stuck in a job that you don't want to do, that a job that doesn't uh, reflect your desires, your passions for life. Like, you don't get up every day and you're energized to go to work like, yes, oh, I can't wait to fuck, well, wait till I put this box together, the way I tape these boxes, the way these people are going to get their coffee, like, I, you just don't have the passion for that as you would something that you are passionate about right so I don't know if I dodged the bullet there but the point was that I was unable to keep a job I had no responsibility I had no desires no motivation I was emotionally destroyed still from losing my father at a young age like that still played in my head as an adult um and just the traumas of life and just being a loser I was just a loser I had no desire to do anything my mom moved out right because she had bought that house so she moved out so i was just living with my ex at the time like usually when you turn 18 you move out of your parents house when i turned 18 my mom moved out of the house and just left me there in the apartment and we took over the payments and whatever um so anyway 2003 was a pivotal year for me because i thought i was going to turn i thought i was going to turn things around I thought I was going to get things going. Like I had enrolled in school with my friend. Um, We, we enrolled, we were going to be cops. Like one of my best friends from childhood, uh, Billy Alimo. we were going to be cops. We went to school. We went and enrolled in Bergen community college. We were going to start taking criminal justice classes. We were going to be state troopers, right? That was our goal. And then, um, so we were in school. Like I had made a decision in my life that I was going to do something, right? Like I was, I had, I need to, ha- I needed to have purpose. I knew something was wrong. That year, I also worked at a gas station, where uh, an employee at the gas station who I was cordial with and had smoking weed with before had brought someone there to introduce me to them so that I could sell them weed. I wasn't a weed dealer. I just couldn't get it. So he asked me if I could get it for his friend. I was like, yeah, whatever. You know, I have this on me. And they're like, no, we not. We want weed. So long story short, I was just getting them weed, not even to make money, just to pinch a little bit of weed out of the bag so I can have to smoke and then I can help these guys out because I'm a helpful guy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a fucking nice guy. And if you need help that I can profit off of, I will help you without profiting too much. And I was stuck in this little thing. I did that. Boom that like was in early in the year then by towards the end yeah that was like in the beginning of the year in winter days and then by august we enrolled in school i enrolled in school like the week of my birthday Like, I enrolled in school, like, early August. And then a few days after my birthday, I got arrested. Like, they came to my house. They fucking had badges. The cop, the guy that I was selling to that I didn't know was a cop. I thought he was my new best friend. Turns out he's not. He was just faking it. I was devastated. Not only that I was getting arrested, but I had lost a potential new friend that I thought I was making. And I just, I thought, you know, when I first got arrested, I'm like, it's weed, whatever. What are they going to do? I hear the kid coming now, so I'm going to have to pause this for a sec, but I, I, I heard the, um, all right, I'm back. That's the good thing about not doing video is that I can just pause this and, um, get back to it. All right. So 2003, I got arrested. Um, I didn't think it was a big deal because it was weed. Then I went to court and they told me I was facing 25 years in prison because school zones are everywhere in the state of New Jersey. And that is mandatory time in in jail, all right. Uh, maximum amount uh, in the school zone, the maximum amount of time that they can give you is 10 years. That is the maximum amount that they can give you. So, I had uh, the school zone, two school zones, and the park zone It's 25 years, and I was shitting a brick. So, I went to a lawyer's office, I cried, and um, I got a lawyer, whatever, went through the whole thing 2004. I got sentenced to jail early february February nineteenth two thousand and four. I was sentenced to prison, and that year sucked two thousand and four was a fucking terrible year all right adversity out the ass all right first of all, I was all alone, I had to go to jail, then I had to go to a fucking rehab. Um, outpatient kind of I mean, no it was an inpatient rehab six months I was in there and it's just adversity for, if you've never had to be institutionalized if you've never had to be locked up um, and had someone else tell you when you can eat shit and you know live your fucking life then you don't understand you just don't um, what kind of adversity you face just being there just being there in that environment is adversarial Um, constantly. You could be the nicest fucking person in the world and being there is adversarial because you're going to get some motherfucker that's having a bad day that has power over you and they can abuse that power without any repercussion. They can, I'm just talking about in the way they speak to you, normal people, like just nice people that are there for maybe child support or you know something you know who knows but you just treated like shit you're treated less than human you're dehumanized and you're um you're just treated like shit that's all i'm getting so that's adversarial then on top of that you have the other people that you're in with you have your own emotions you're fighting so there was a lot of there was just a lot of um there was a lot of things against me and on top of that i had already gone in there with no self-esteem no um self-confidence i really thought i was a piece of shit i really thought i didn't deserve anything i knew i was gonna die young um so our life didn't matter like i just i had no hope in my life of ever being a productive member of society i just did not see it I could not. That's why I like, sometimes I think back, how did I not get into comedy sooner? Because if anybody would have told me at 18 that I should be a comedian, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it because I didn't believe in myself. I didn't have any kind of vision for myself at all. Zero. I just didn't think I was worth it. I didn't think that it mad. Like, I didn't think... I could do anything of value that would be any fucking good for anybody. I just really, I, I can't stress enough how low of an opinion I had of myself, especially in these years. All right When all I was doing was drinking and smoking and, f- and getting jobs that only lasted a few months and then having to look for work again after my unemployment ran out, like it was a fucking terrible cycle. Um, So through that adversary, uh, through that adversity i persevered okay every single day i got a little bit more um evidence that i could that i could do this that i could um like proceed and this was a conversation i had with my brother right before um i got sentenced where we were talking about beating the system. Like, how do I beat this? And then my brother was like, you have to, if you want to beat the system, this is the best advice I ever got for this time period. It's like, if you want to beat the system, just do everything that they tell you to do. If you do everything that they tell you to do, they can't like, they can't beat you. If you do what they say, they can't beat you because you're going to do what they say. You're going to excel in their program and it's going to benefit you as a person. Like we didn't talk about all that, but it was just in my mind. If you want to beat the system, just do everything they tell you and they can't do nothing to you. That was the mindset my brother put into my head before I went. So when I was doing everything I was told, I wasn't doing it because I thought it was going to make me a better person. I had no fucking idea that I was ever going to become a better person. I had no hope. I was not trying to become a better person. I just wanted to survive. I just wanted to get past it so I can get out again and go back to living my fucking non-existence of a life. That's all I wanted to do. But in the process of doing everything that I was told to do, I learned more about myself. I put in work. All right. Group therapies, participating, um, one-on-one therapy and just really doing everything they told me. When I got out of there in September of 2004, was it September or October? I think it was September. When I got out of there in 2004, I had a lot of adversity. That was not like getting out of there was not the, um, was not going to be the easy part. The easy part was being in there in a controlled environment, like, dealing with all these things I was dealing with and changing my behavior in a controlled environment. Now we get out into the fucking real world where it's uncontrolled and you can make all the choices you want in the world that would lead you down the wrong paths. You can make all the wrong decisions and it's all on you. Now, when I got into the real world, I was part of a program called Drug Court. Now, Drug Court limits, like just, Drug Court is designed... To help people get out of addiction and become productive members of society. And it's very, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, invasive in your life. It's very, um, it's very detailed. Let me give you an example. When I first got out, I was a free man. I had to report to probation every Monday, mandatory every Monday for urine test. That was mandatory. Now, every Thursday, it was mandatory for me to go to court. So every Monday, I had to report to probation. Every Thursday of every week, I had to report to court at 12 o'clock in the afternoon for drug court. This was everybody that was in the program that was out. And some people that were in jail, they'd get tra- like if it was a certain uh, date or they were just checking on you. They bring you from the jail or for whatever program you are and you come to court on that date. And on that date, you get in front of the judge, you drop a urine, talk to your probation officer, and then you get in front of the judge when it's your turn, and the judge asks you, how's everything going? Do you have a job? You have to have a job on the books. Do you have a job? Are you going to meetings? Because you have to go to meetings. How's outpatient therapy? Because you have to do outpatient therapy. And it's basically just a check-in. And then you're done, boom, and you go. All right, so probation Mondays, mandatory urine. Uh, Mondays, you can go all day from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. to drop that urine. There's no appointment. You just got to show up, sign up, wait for them to call you, then go drop a urine, make a little payment on the fine, and then go about your business. Uh, so I would go after work and try to get there, you know, last minute. But we'll talk about work in a minute. So two days a week. Now, you also had to make three meetings, all right, three AA or NA meetings every week, and you had to have a paper signed by the meeting. You have to ask questions like about the meeting. What did you learn? Blah, 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 blah. And then have it signed at the end by the person at the meeting. And those papers were due when you went to court every Thursday. You had to show those papers. All right. Monday probation, Thursday court, three meetings a week. Also, outpatient therapy. So it's rehab, but outpatient. Had to do that three times a week as well. Okay. Okay. Um, that was in Englewood. I went to the Van Oost Institute, which was in Englewood, New Jersey, beautiful fucking neighborhood right there on, um, the hell's the name of that busy ass street. Damn. I can't remember the name right now. Um, but it's, you know, that busy street, they have all the nice stores, the fucking Ben and Jerry's is there. They got food and all kinds of shops. It's a very nice area for, for shopping. So I had to do that. All right. Keep in mind, that's Monday probation, Thursday court three meetings a week three times i had to go to outpatient a week okay and then on fridays i had random urines on friday in the morning i'd have to call a number and they would tell you uh what letter it was and if your last name was that letter you had to go all right that was it and you had to be there same thing like monday between eight and five just for a urine no check-in like on mondays you would talk to your probation officer and they tell you hey you still owe fines or whatever you're not paying your fines and you know you need to do this this and that all right so now we're at monday court monday probation thursday court friday random urines those are four possible appointments you have to make three times you have to go to a meeting a week and three times you have to go to outpatient a week my license was suspended at this time too all right, So I had to do everything via bus. Um, then you had to have a job. You had to have a job. Now, when I first got out, my brother was working in a barbershop. I was living with my brother, sharing a room. My brother was just renting a room at the time because he was having his own fucking problems. And I was in the room with him. So I was just sleeping on the floor of a room that me and my brother shared in this fucking Colombian people's house that was already packed. So you had like six people sharing one bathroom. All right, I got uh, my brother got me a job with him at the barbershop that he was working at as the cashier all right it was like a barbershop slash store so I had I was the cashier I swept the floors kept everything clean did the money took everybody's money gave the change you know the inventory and all that stuff just that's it but they paid me off the books I got like I swear to god I think it was $75 a week I'm almost positive it was $75 a week or $100 a week is what I was getting paid. And um, off the books, but that did not count as a job. I had to get a job because I needed tax. I need to be paying taxes. I needed a pay stub to have a job for court. So I couldn't get a job. Who the fuck is going to give me a job? Number one, I'm a felon. I'm on probation. I'm on parole currently. I have all this obligation I have to do. So fuck your hours that you're going to give me. I need to tell you my hours that I'm going to have. All right. And uh, I had no experience. Like I had no job history. I had no education no college. Like who's going to give me a job? I'll tell you who's going to give me a job. Motherfucking McDonald's. That's who's going to give me a job. All right. The barbershop I worked on was on Essex Street in Hackensack, formerly known as Christians. If you know, if you know, you know. If you don't know, it's right across the street from Rite Aid in Hackensack on Essex Street, right where the McDonald's is right there. I got a fucking job at that McDonald's. I got hired $8.25 an hour back in 2004. uh, I got hired there. Might have been 2005 by this time. No, 2004, because they immediately were on me about not having a job on the books and I had to get a job on the books. So I applied at the, that McDonald's they hired me, gave me a start date. That's how, um, that's how much I was like, I was willing to do anything to stay in the program. Like I had to do, I was doing everything I needed to do, right? Got that job. I never worked at McDonald's because in between when I got hired and when my start date was, I got another job from, a friend of mine doing uh, telemarketing. Boom! Bro, telemarketing was money for me. All right. Not because I made a lot of money for me, but because it gave me a fucking paycheck on the fucking books and the hours are flexible because it was part time, full time, and it was in Hackensack. So things started to progress. In 2005, in 2005, the next year I had that job doing the telemarketing i was showing up every day i wasn't drinking i wasn't smoking my i wasn't hanging out with any of my old friends billy Alamo, go fuck yourself and then so i was doing everything i was supposed to be doing and i was happy i was happy because i was progressing like i was struggling i still had so much on top of me But I was happy that I was actively participating in my life. I was doing things about it, you know? Um, So that year I, you know, I kept working. I ended up getting a job with my aunt. At a Fortune 500 company in their customer service department. It Actually, was entry-level. I was a pricing coordinator, assistant pricing coordinator, like super entry-level. I, I think it was $27,000 a year they offered me. That was my first salary. I remember working uh, $12 an hour for the telemarketing company. And when I got the job of my aunt, when they made that offer, when I went for that interview, interview felt good. I've always interviewed well because I'm a people person. I dress nice. I have a nice appearance, I clean up nice for interviews and um, and I'm able to talk well. So uh, interview went good, nailed it, got the job and they sent me an offer letter like I don't I know this sounds so stupid um, as far as like it's cheesy, but getting that offer letter really made me feel so fucking proud I was so proud. I got an offer letter from a fortune 500 company, bro. I don't have any college education. Like I have some college, nothing worth bragging about. I barely got by fucking school. Like I'm a felon. I have the worst view of myself. I have like the worst view of myself. And here I am getting an offer letter. Somebody's offering me a job and they know about all my history they know all about everything that i have to do as far as court and probation and everything and they said they'll work around it like this was in, like this was such a momentous occasion for me because this changed how i started viewing myself like instantly this was a time too that i stopped saying the n-word like i stop. like i used to talk like that all the time i still do sometimes i'm not gonna lie I still do sometimes, especially when I'm just talking with my wife or my friends, you know, like in a smaller setting with people that know me, like I'll talk like how I talk growing up, growing up. I was all around me. You know, my family's from the Bronx and my other family's from Camden, like that. We grew up with that word. That's just in our life. But I stopped saying it not because of racism, not because anybody was pressuring me. I stopped saying it because I didn't want to say it in a corporate environment. Like I wanted people to respect me now. Because I was wearing cornrows my whole life, do rags, bandanas, talking recklessly, and people didn't take me seriously. People didn't take me seriously because I wasn't being serious. I wasn't being a serious person. I was trying to pretend to be something that I wasn't. I was trying to pretend to be something that my mom worked her ass and busted her ass off in a coffee plant so that I didn't have to live in those places that we grew up in, like that my mom grew up in. So um, I stopped talking that way so that i can be professional and it wouldn't slip in the office because i noticed it a few times it slipped in the office and i was like oh shit i can't be talking like this like i saw how they looked at me so i knew i needed to change more about myself so i stopped saying the n words, started talking differently um you know as far as office etiquette and all that stuff um i was wearing khakis to work i'm wearing khakis and polos and dress shoes like I had a desk, I had a cubicle with a computer, like, I could change the desktop background, like, this is something, I know this sounds so cheesy, but this was something I had dreamed about. I had dreamed about just having a job, having people trust me where they gave me things, you know, like, that where things were my responsibility, like, this is my desk now. I own this desk. This is where my stuff is. Don't let me catch you going through my drawer. Like, you know, like I just felt so proud that this is where I had come. So that's 2005. I think it might even been 2006 that I started at that company. Might have been 2006. Actually, I think 2005. I went the whole year with the uh, with the telemarketing gig. I was there for a while. Then I, I was actually also working at a um, a wood place. I forgot about that job did i oh, I think I started working there before I started working at McDonald's? I think you're right all right so before McDonald's i I mean I got the job at McDonald's, but I didn't leave McDonald's to do the telemarketing. I think I left McDonald's to work at a wood shop. I worked at this wood shop in Munaki where we put together displays and things like that. We were putting together. Like the D V D displays or we were just putting together whatever fucking knickknack whack, give a dog a fucking bone things they gave us to put together for other companies. Uh, but it was a wood place. We would cut things, we'd measure, like I was, you know, pretty good with my hands. So I was at I think I was through a temp agency. Um fuck Irby. Irby gave me that job from fucking uh from drug court. Irby got me that job. He was um just the dude I met in the fucking in the clink, bro. Just a cool kid from fucking hackensack and um we hit it off cuz we're both from Hackensack and, and and uh you know I told you I talk that language so <laughs> <laughs> so we um he got me that job and uh that was a that was a fun job but um that was just again the the progression there I was working with my hands I was getting glue all over myself like uh you know there was a glue gun and shit there so that was um that was another fucking job I forgot all about uh so anyway yeah I worked at this the job at AP and um and I had a four k. I had medical benefits. Um, like I said, I had responsibilities. Like I had an email address, like a company email address. I had. Uh, then I got promoted to customer service, and then from customer service, um, you know, the somebody ended up getting sick at the company. My aunt, actually, the one who got me the job, ended up getting sick. and She had a lot of responsibility, and then the guy that was working both desks because we used to have to work back up for someone else if they were gone we worked in pairs so if the person that you were working with was out you covered for them if they went on vacation you covered with them you would do double the work and everybody would help you whatever so th- when my aunt got really sick um, she was out indefinitely and then um, she was out indefinitely and then the guy quit he couldn't take the two desks he's like fuck this shit I don't want to do this I'm out of here he left I slid in, took both desks by myself, and I fucking worked like that for a year, like for a long time that my, my aunt was out, we were fucking, um, it was me just working both desks, then finally we bring somebody else in, uh, and I just, you know, that, that really put like a spotlight on me that, Hey, he's a good worker. He's really good. Like I'm just very good at multitasking and handling a lot of responsibilities at once. And I work fast and, um, and I don't make a lot of mistakes. So I get, you know, people just started respecting me more there because of that. Then, um, and then things just progressed from there. And I got like a lot of, uh, I got to wrap this up because I had to get to work. Um, i I. This makes me want to really do that series. I'm gonna start that series probably with the next episode. We're gonna get back into the, the early stages of my life, growing up in Hackensack, New Jersey, and just taking it through there. I think there's a lot of lessons we can all learn. Um. Yeah. So that progressed, and that progressed until. Um to the job I have now. Now I'm a project manager with a glass fabricator that does jobs on, in New York City, you know, World Trade Center. You look at the Harlem Hospital, look at the Harlem Hospital, the glass on the Harlem Hospital, that's all nice and that design in front, that was us. Um, World Trade Center, Hudson Yards, um, you know, WWE headquarters in Connecticut, Gary Vee's headquarters, um, Twitch headquarters, um, you know, just so many jobs that we do, glass walls on the inside. I got this job. I went for the interview for customer service. There's a big gap in here that I'm missing. But like I said, I don't have time. But I went to interview for a job for customer service because I, I just needed to get a job. I was in between jobs and I needed something and I applied for this job and then I went and in the interview, in the interview, I got promoted. All right. I went and interviewed for customer service. I got promoted in the interview to project manager. They, they you know, they told me that I was overqualified for the job and I thought that they were trying to um like a polite way to get rid of me you know when you tell someone, ah, sorry you're overqualified uh we'll keep you in mind and they said that to me and i was like fuck and i was like but we have this other job we want you to come in and interview again for we think it'd be better your fit and i'm like fuck like these people wanted me so bad they made another interview for me like they had something else they were doing and they made another interview for me and i got the job and then um while I had the job, in the job, I, I think three months into the job, I got all this other responsibility, and um, you know now I have their biggest accounts, um, dealing with their biggest projects, and I have all this responsibility placed on me. And sometimes I can get ungrateful and like spit on the position that I'm in with my attitude, but the reality is is that I'm very fortunate. I'm super, super fortunate that I was able to get into the position that I am, not by luck, even though there is luck involved, not by anybody else's help, even though other people did help me, but primarily because I just kept going. I just kept going. And I didn't know at the time that that what the light at the end of the tunnel was. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know where that light was going to lead me. I just knew that there was light. That's all I knew. That's all I needed to know was that there was light at the end of that tunnel. And I just kept going. I didn't know where it would lead me. I never saw myself in the position that I am today with a family, a home, a car, like, you know, like things. My daughter's growing up 10 times better than I've grew up. Like, that's all you can ask for. In your life, is that you were able to provide your family with a better life than you had? And I did that. And I fucking did that. No college education, barely graduated high school, felon, absolute piece of shit in my own mind. And here I am today. And I can confidently say that I'm successful. I'm successful. I am successful not because I'm rich but just because I did something I did something with my life and I think that's fucking cool so I just think uh, however wherever you are however much despair you may feel including myself including today's in these days in these trying times however much despair you feel just remember that there's light at the end of the tunnel I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what that light means for you. I wish I could tell you, just follow the road and you'll get to A, B, and C, but that's not true. Just follow the road and you'll get somewhere. Follow the road and you'll get somewhere. If you don't follow the road, if you just stay still pitying yourself and feeling sorry for yourself, you're going to be exactly where you are and you already don't like it there. So fucking move move bitch get out the way get out the way um, that's it this podcast was longer than I thought it was going to be and it's not as long as I want it to be as I'm talking but I got to get my ass to work so that I can keep this job um, yeah I mean I'm just really grateful throughout all this as much as I complain I know that this job isn't what I want to do with my life um, but I'm so grateful I'm so grateful to this job that if I hit the lottery today, if I hit the lottery today, $100 million, I would not quit right away. (laughs) I would not quit right away. I'd I'd have to help them. like I'd give them notice and I'd help them transition. That's how much respect I have for this place because of what they provided me. I mean, I've worked this whole year. I did not get laid off. Other people did, and it's not the company's fault. It's the situation that we're in. The company had to make some hard choices, but they also made a lot of great choices that provided a lot of people with the ability to provide with their families. And they did it with the safety of the employees in mind. So I'm just very fortunate that I found a good company to work for and they're hiring. So if you're interested, hit me up because I get a referral bonus. If you're a good employee and you last. Um, so hit me up if you're, uh, in customer service, if you're in driving, um, or if you just want a fucking plant job, if you just need a job, just hit me up. I can try to help you the best I can. If you need help interviewing, if you need help with your resume, these are all skills that I've acquired that I am very good at, and I would be happy to help any of you that have listened to this podcast. Because you're supporting me and the least I can do is help support you. So I appreciate you for listening. That is it for today. Again, Vic is funny.com for all the good stuff. Dojo of comedy.com. I don't think that's a website. It's com still. Um, for the best best comedy club in the world, the Dojo of Comedy. Ah, and that's it, baby. Have a great day. Merry Christmas if I don't talk to you, enjoy the holidays with your family, remember what's important, and that's just your health and how you feel about yourself, work on those things, I. You're listening to my daddy of the v car.